0: All right, good evening and welcome back to our study of the Lubavitcher Rebbe's Igrus Kredish letters that were written by the Rebbe. Um, Many of you took a journey with me for the month leading up to Yud Aleph Nissen this year. Yud Aleph Nissen is the, the Rebbe's birthday. And we did 30 letters in 30 days, every single day even Shabbos, where we couldn't have a class. We did a double class on Thursdays to make up for it. We learned another letter from the Rebbe. And Bar HaShem, the response was amazing. And people said, when are you going to do it again? After Yod Aleph Nissen, when we finished, people said, when are you going to do it again? And I said, uh, you'll find out. Okay, so you're finding out. Today is Gimel Sivan, which is 30 days before Gimel Tammuz, the Rebbe's yard site. We're not going to do 30 letters in 30 days. That was a little bit crazy. Um, but we're going to do a letter a week from now until Gimel Tammuz. And the way we did it last time is we went through one chilek, one volume of the Igrus. This time we're going to jump around a little bit because we're going to follow a topic. We're going to learn letters on the topic of Hiskashris, the relationship between a Rebbe and a Chassid. And hopefully this will be part of our preparing ourselves properly for Gimel Tamaz. And uh, as the Rebbe expressed regarding Yud Shvat, the Yorzeit of his Rebbe, the Fidic Rebbe, that uh, our most sincere and and ardent hope is that Mashiach will be here before Gimel Tamaz and it will no longer be a Yorzeit. So let's jump in to our first letter. Somebody told me, how can you start the letter the first class Thursday night before a three-day Yom The Women are all cooking. I said, what do you think you're supposed to listen to while you're cooking? So I'm sure there are people right now who are listening to this while cooking. Hi. Can you make a blueberry cheesecake for me? I don't know. Okay. Anyways, um, the letter that we're going to learn tonight is from the year Tufshin Tess. This is before the Rebbe is officially accepting the Nesias. This is before the passing of the Feodic Rebbe. The first few volumes of Igreus are letters from before the Nesias. Uh, this is from Hele Gimel, and it's letter Toph Mem He, 445. And it's written to an illustrious mashpia, Rebbe Shlem Chaim Kesselman. And... I think before I start to read the letter, I want to tell you one thing about Shlem Chaim. Because this letter is, I'll just say it, it, it it's leveling a fairly uh, harsh critique. Not, and the Rebbe makes this very clear, not directed at any particular individual. He's writing to Shlem Chaim, but he says, it says this is not about any one individual about the Siddim in general in the community where Shlem Chaim was living at the time, and we'll talk about where and when this all happened. However, because it's a, it's a, it's a critical uh, tone, that the letter is, is written in a critical tone, I just want to tell you something about Shlem Chaim so you should understand what kind of a person we're talking about. Um, and specifically in the area of connecting Jews to the Rebbe. Because that's what this whole letter is about. It's about the Rebbe's call to chesidim to connect more Jews to the Rebbe. <sighs> Chaim was uh was a Mashpia from a very young age. In fact, he was first appointed as Mashpia by the Rebbe Rashab, by the fifth Rebbe of Chabad. He was born in Tofresh Nundalit, that's uh, 1894. and. Uh, he went on to be a mashpia in the, in the times of the Firik Rebbe as well as in the times of the Rebbe. He passed away in, in 1971, and uh, he was a mashpia in Lud, in, in, Lod, in uh, the, the Chabad Yeshiva and Erzesro. And the particular story I want to tell you was a story that happened at one of his Fabrengans, one of his famous Fabrengans in Lud. Uh, there were many non Lubavitch particularly Litvish Bachram, who were attracted to these Fabrengans and from these fabrengens many of these young men became chabad there's a whole there's a, like a whole lineage of uh chabad families who come from these Bachram who were who were attracted to uh, shlomo chaim's fabrengens so at one particular Fabrengan, and this story was told by one of shlomo chaim's talmidim by the by someone who himself became uh, a great mashpia, Reb Melech zwiebel who was a mashpia in Morristown. So he was a bacher at this fabrengen, and there was a, uh, a litvisha bacher who, and there were many litvisha bachim who would come to these fabrengens, but this particular fabrengen, there's a litvisha bacher, and he was giving some pushback to Shlame Chaim. was fabrenging uh, about his kashras, that we have to connect ourselves to the nasi to uh, the nasi adar and this Bacher says i am connected to abaya verova from the from the gemara the, the great amarayim abaya verova so uh, Bachar was saying, like, yeah, it's very nice. his kashras, and you're making a point that this is an indispensable part of Yiddishkeit to to connect yourself to, to a Talmud Chacham and to a, to a tzaddik. No problem. But I have my his kashras. I'm a makusher of Abayi Berova from the, from the Gemara. So Shlomo Chaim says to this Bachar. He says, you want to be connected to Abayi Berova, but who says Abayi Berova want to be connected to you? That, he said, is the difference. That not only do Qasidim (laughs) want to connect to the Rebbe, but the Rebbe, as Nasi, wants to be connected to each of them. (laughs) So (laughs) it's very easy to say, Oh, I picked this person to be makusher to. Who says it's reciprocal? The whole idea of a Nasi, of a Rebbe, of Rebbe being Reish Beis Yud, Rosh B'nai Yisrael, a head like a head is connected to a body as one organism. The whole idea is that it's a two-way street; the relationship is reciprocal. So that's just a story about Shlomo Now we're going to hear the Rebbe um, criticizing some stuff that's going on that Shlomo was involved in, and uh, it's pretty severe. But uh, buckle up, and we'll we'll get through it, and we'll be better for it. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Oh, and I, I also want to mention something. The format when we did 30 letters in 30 days was 30 minutes. 3, 3 30 30-30-30. Yeah, 30-30-30. 30 letters, 30 days, 30 minutes, yeah. So uh, that was the format. Um, this is not the format anymore. I cannot promise you how long this is going to take. This is a particularly long letter. I'm, I'm even going to skip a portion of this letter and I'm guessing it's going to take me well over an hour. Let's see. Let's see what happens. I think it's going to take well over an hour. All right. Baruch Hashem, Hamisha Asa B'Shvat, Shin, Tes. Everyone knows what Hamisha Asa is, yeah? Well, the next line tells you. Rosh Hashanah The tree new year. New year for trees hasade, the Rebbe puts in there that it's the tree holiday, but the tree holiday isn't just for the trees; it's for the tree in all of us. He ate the hasade, like it says in Parshas Shavta, there's a tree-like aspect of all of us, and we can learn from the trees. So, tree New Year is also our New Year. chasad maskil v'chulu, chayim shalom so, the letter is addressed to Reb Shlemichaim, Kesselman. So, here's what I'm going to do. The Rebbe actually broke up the letter into six chapters. <laughs> um, chapter one, or Ois Aleph, is a tov for Shlemichaim's daughter becoming engaged. Um, I'm going to skip that. Chapter two his base, <clears throat> is base, is that I've been mentioning a kuntras, a pamphlet that uh, of a, of a mimer of the Fidek Rebbe that he's enclosing in the letter. Is Gimel, or chapter three is the Rebbe confirming receipt of the list of donors to a certain fund, which we're going to be speaking about at length in this letter. Is Dalit or chapter four is confirmation of receipt of other funds that were sent for other projects. I'm not going to get into this. There's so much to be said about all of this, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, Hay, Chapter 5, was omitted entirely. And we spoke about this in our previous uh, classes, that when the letters were... All of these letters were published from the archival copy that was retained by the Secretariat. And in many cases, private information was removed or redacted to protect the privacy of individuals. So I don't know what Chapter 5 was about. It could have been anything. It doesn't necessarily mean it was personal about Shlem Hayim. It could have been personal about somebody he knew. It, it, who knows? There's no way to know what it was, but it was taken out. Okay. And then we start with Ice Vav, Chapter 6. And this is what we're going to focus on. Uh, and this is going to take us a while, like I said. I don't know how long it's going to take us, but yeah, it's going to take a while. So let's let's do this. And if you're following in the PDF that we prepared, it's uh, on Chapter 4. I mean, on page 4. If you go to page 4, so you'll see paragraph F, right? F is, so confusing, F is Vav. Aleph, Bez, Gimel, ballad. A, Vav. A, B, C, D, E, F. Yeah, okay. That makes sense. Okay. Vav. Mash Kosov al-Dvar i afshorius hoaveda aveda bimikceye nifne Anche Ho ir, Lavad Anash v'hatmimim Regarding what you said That it's impossible To do anything about Nifne What's Nifne? Among the people of the city Which city? An exception for Anash What's Anash? Let's explain this Nifne is a fund with an uh, an illustrious tradition and and backstory and history. Nifna is actually not a real word. It's a word in code. And the code developed because of persecution. Well, I shouldn't say that. The use of the code in this context developed because of persecution. The actual code itself is a well-known... Code among Jews, called the mezuzah code. You ever noticed on the back of a mezuzah, you'll find letters forming words, nonsense words. Kuzu, kuzu. What is that? Those are the words Hashem Hashem, bumped up by one letter. So the yud of yud kevavke gets bumped up, and becomes the next letter of chaf. And then the hey of yud ke K gets bumped up one letter higher to the next letter and becomes a and so on and so forth. So the mezuzah code is when you take each letter of a word and you bump it up one letter. So nifne is the mezuzah code way of saying maimud. Now, what's maimud? <clears throat> maimud means to stand up, like amida. Standing, So Maimud means money that was collected for financially supporting a Rebbe to be used by the Rebbe as discretionary funds. And because, obviously, for obvious reasons, fundraising, especially under oppressive regimes, had to be done very often in secrecy, when Chassidim would write about the collection of Maimud, they developed a code. They wouldn't refer to it as Maimud. They would refer to it as Nifneh. And everyone understood that that was code for fundraising for these funds that go to the Rebbe. So that's what the word Nifne means. Now, it's hard to explain the importance of Maimud. I think by the end of this letter, it'll become very, very clear how important it is. But at at first glance, it it seems like a funny thing because let's 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 be honest here let's let's say it as it is. From a cynical point of view, you know, fundraising is a, is a it can be it can be a turnoff. Like oh, so here's the sales pitch ah the solicitation. Now they're asking for my money. But traditionally it was understood that when a chassid gives Maimed, when he gives money, his hard-earned money, to the Rebbe, that that is a form of connection that cannot be achieved through other ways of connecting. Yes, there are many ways of connecting to a Rebbe, and the Rebbe will talk about this in the letter, that there's the spiritual connection and there's the material connection. Giving money, hard-earned money, to the Rebbe's discretionary fund Is an act of connecting oneself to the Rebbe In a very special way And in some ways um, We bypass some of the problem areas of human experience Meaning you learn the Rebbe's Torah That's your Seichel, you're using your mind Okay, but you have the subjects, your own subjectivity So who knows how you filter it Or even your Midas, your emotions you have a feeling of, of, of connection to the Rebbe. But again, it's so subjective. It's, it's filtered through your own experiences and your, your, your limitations. But then there's something called action, my sabbapayil. And uh, that sort of bypasses all the subjectivity and it's real, it's indisputable. And you could say, well, following the Rebbe's directives, going and doing what the Rebbe told you to do is also action. That's true, but this is something that's even more fundamental because it's even bypassing your, if you go and you do something, you know, the Rebbe's directive, um, it's still sort of a a religious thing you're doing. And it has, I mean religious in the sense of you're doing it with certain intention and with certain deeper understanding. But when you give money, (laughs) when you go and you earn the money and then you give the money away, there's something so um, basic, there's something so uh, elemental about it that you can't mess up. You just can't mess up. You know, it reminds me of the the story, someone actually, uh, a Gvir, a philanthropist, a rich man who was giving a lot of money. He once told the Altarebbe, he said, I'm, I'm not giving tzedakah right now because I realized that I don't have the right kavana, that when I give tzedakah, I, I have certain, uh certain egotistical feeling about it. So, until my kavana is more pure, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a break from tzedakah. So, now that I've said that, uh, listen, your kavana when you give money to the poor man may be questionable, but I can assure you the kavana of the poor man when he eats. Is 100% kosher. Don't worry. Like, In other words, you can't mess it up because at the end of the day, it's all about the practical thing. You did it and, and it benefits somebody. So it's almost, it has a certain purity to it. And it was always understood that a chosid, even if you connect to the Rebbe in all the other ways, you have to have this as a part of the whole his kashris. Connection. I'll tell you a very interesting story that I don't think is 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 very well known about the Al Rebbe's meeting with uh, Rabbi Nachman Mibreslev I don't think a lot of people realize that they had a meeting in 1810. We're talking about a, a few years before the Al Rebbe's Histalkos. He was traveling around uh, Russia, and he actually went to Breslev. This is before. Rabbi Nachman moved to Uman, where he passed away, and that's, of course, where he's buried. It's a very well-known uh, pilgrimage location. But this is when uh, Rabbi Nachman was still in, uh, in Braslev. So the Al rebbe came, and uh, it was very interesting. At their meeting, there was a wealthy Jew who was a big supporter of Rabbi Nachman, and the Ben Nachman said to this uh, to this this gvir, this wealthy Jew, "Give tzedakah for an Emerson Talmid Chacham," referring to the Alter Rebbe. Give tzedakah to a true Torah scholar. And he pulled out a coin called uh, a rendel, which was a, an expensive coin, you know, like a hundred dollar bill, and he gave it to the Alter and Ibn Achmin said, Dos git men for an in Talmud That's what you give to a true Torah scholar? So the Gvir gave another coin. And Ibn Nachman uh, commented in a, in a similar way that it was insufficient. So he gave another coin and another and another and another and it repeated itself until the, uh, the Gvir had given the Al-Tarabit ten of these very large coins, which it uh, was, was a large amount of money. it was more money, I believe it was more money than Abnachman himself received as his monthly stipend from the community. so it was a pretty good fundraising visit. Um, but then the conversation shifted, and it's very interesting the question that Abnachman asked al Terebe. And then the connection of the answer back to what had happened earlier with the giving the tzedakah. Nachman of Breslov asked the, the Alter Rebbe, "Is it true what they say that you have eighty thousand chassidim, which was a lot of chassidim? You know that the, the Talmidi Amagid, the different uh, 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 disciples." of the Maggad. Magad had 120 disciples, the Bal had 60, Magad had double the number. They all took over different areas. Generally speaking, they geographically divvied up Eastern Europe and they would teach Chassidus in their, in their style. And uh, so Nachman of asks the, uh, the Alter Rebbe, is it true what I hear that you have 80,000 Chassidim, which is a, a big number. So al Terebba says yes, but let me explain. I'll explain the number. <laughs> you have to understand how we do accounting over here. He says, I have many Sidim who are school teachers, and each of these school teachers keeps on his desk a pushka. It's a pushka, a little uh, canister for putting, uh, putting donations for the collection of maimed. Maimed means, what we were speaking about, funds that are sent to a Rebbe as discretionary funds for the Rebbe. So in each one of those classrooms, you have all these children who are giving maimed money, and they will never oppose me. He said they will never become misnagdim because they've given maimed money. So they are counted in the reckoning of the 80,000 chesidim. Very interesting question, interesting answer, and then interesting the connection of the answer back to what had just happened a minute earlier with the Nachman B'Bresslev getting the gvir to give the alt more money. The alt was saying that when somebody gives Maimon money, it's not just about the money. You know, everyone always says, it's not about the money, right? If they tell you it's not about the money, it's about the money, right? But in this case, what is the alternative saying? The connection that's formed, even by these children, to the Rebbe through giving Maimud money is a foundation for a lifelong connection, for a lifelong relationship. That may be where it begins, But once the relationship is formed, it's sort of cemented, and it's locked in, and and, and it it can only grow from there, not deteriorate. So it's a a very powerful concept, the idea of this connection through the giving of maimud, which in this letter we're going to refer to again as nifne. Okay. Yeah, this is going to take more than an hour. It's going to be an hour and a half. (laughs) Okay. So we got... Through one sentence. We didn't, actually, we didn't get through one sentence yet. What does it mean? You tell me that it's impossible to collect Nifne from the people of the city except for Anash. People of the city, what city? Paris. As well as many other Chabad Chassidim who had escaped Soviet Russia were at that time living in Paris. There was... Now, I'm not talking about today's Paris. I'm not talking about all the the chassidim that Mullah Azimah of Allah Shalom made. I'm talking about 1940s, post-war, 1947, uh, is when the, the Rebbe himself went back and visited. We'll talk about that, actually. When the Rebbe himself went back to Paris after the war to to bring his mother, Rebbe Tzanchana, and, and there, was a, there was a community of Anash. We're talking about their original Anash from Russia. We're talking about the people who were Chabad back in Russia and who escaped Russia, and where did they end up? For whatever reason, I mean, Hashgach A lot of them ended up in Paris, okay? I mean, we'll talk about it, actually, the history of how they ended up in Paris, because actually a lot of them ended up in Germany at a DP camp, and then from the DP camp in Germany they ended up in Paris. We'll get to that. Be'ezus Hashem. But just understand, we're talking about a group of what we call Gezhe Chassidim, people who were, who were Chabad back in Russia, perhaps for many generations. They end up in Paris. And, and the Rebbe refers to that to this, that these are people who saw not only the Frieda Rebbe, but they saw the Rebbe Rashab. These were people who learned in Temchet temimim. The Rebbe refers to all of this. So we're talking about the cream of the crop, the real Gezhe Sidim from illustrious lineages, they end up after World War II in Paris. There's so much more to this history to fill in, but I don't want the letter to take three hours. They're living in Paris. This is 1949. Now you know Shlomo Chaim ends up in Eretz Yisrael, so... And and he refers to another chassid later by name in the letter to to, to Ben Sien Shem who who ended up in England. So they're not all going to stay in Paris. Most of them don't stay in Paris. But at this point, there's a lot of them living in Paris. And the Rebbe says to them, says to him, to Shlem Chaim, you tell me in your letter that you have found it impossible to accomplish anything with the people of the city, with the Parisians, regarding collection of Nifne, except for Anash and Tamimim, meaning to say, you, I mean, we know from this letter, remember one of the earlier chapters in the letter was about the receipts for the Nifne. So money was just sent in for Nifne. But what the Rebbe is saying is the only people who contributed were Lubavitchers. And I want to know, you're in a big city. Paris is a big city with a lot of Jews. Where's the Nifne? Why am I not writing receipts for Nifne from all these non-Lubavichers? Where, where is that? So that's, that's what the, the Rebbe is referring to. And that's really the main emphasis of this whole letter. It's about reaching out beyond Anash, beyond the tight-knit Chabad community, and connecting regular Jews to the Rebbe, specifically through Nifne. I want to just share one other piece of background here, which I think is, I think helps to flesh things out. This letter, as I mentioned, is 1949, and we said what date it was, remember? Kamisha Bishvat, tree holiday. Uh, there's a letter from five days earlier from Yud Shvat, interesting date, Yud Shvat, but it's Yud Shvat Tafshin Tess. It's exactly a year before the Friedrich Rebus Histalkus. And it's three letters earlier in this very same chilek of Igris. The Reb is writing to a shlich in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, to Yisroel Meir Altain. And he says, I got the list for the Chalukas Hashas, and I see that nobody's on it but you and Sholem Posner. What, what, what are we talking about here? Chalukas HaShas is something that goes back to the times of the Alter Rebbe. The Alter writes about it in the Geras I made a bracha earlier, before we started filming. Chalukas HaShas is a, uh, is a Hasidic, Chabad Hasidic uh, enactment, going back to the Alter Rebbe, that each community should finish the entire shas together every year, every year from Yutteskislev to Yut Teskislav. So apparently Rabbi Altein had sent in a list of the Haluka's Shas from Pittsburgh, and nobody was on it but him and Shalom Posner. Now I wouldn't have gotten this on my own, but somebody explained <laughs> to me and after he said it, it was like, yeah, no duh, no brainer. Basically what he was saying it's actually one of the Posner Ainakloch explained it to me. If you're listening, you know who you know who maybe you don't remember telling me. I remember being told that Rabbi Altain was saying that he between him and Sholom Posner, they took the whole shas. <laughs> you understand? They're writing to the Rebbe that each of them is learning half of Shas that year. That's pretty good, right? That deserves a pat on the back. But the Rebbe's response is I don't understand this list. Where are the other names? Where where where's the rest of the community? You're in a city, you're in Pittsburgh. Where are the other people who are taking part in this in, in this activity? So not only that Rebbe d- didn't mention to them, oh, it's pretty cool that each of you are learning half of Shaks this year, but the Ebba was saying, like, what's going on here? Like, why are you keeping a good thing to yourselves? And the Rebbe says, you know, if this is your lack of influence on the community in something that has to do with nigla de nigla de meaning the legalistic part of Torah, not chassidist, not, not nister, not, not spiritual stuff, but the regular bread and butter, learning gemara. The Rebbe says, where people don't have so much of a yeitzah People don't have so much of a resistance. You want to learn gemara? Oh, sure, I'll learn gemara. Like, they're not so threatened by gemara. And you weren't able to get any non-labavichers to join, to do halukas sashas? So the Rebbe says, I can only imagine your lack of influence when it comes to areas that have to do with Hasidus, which does threaten people because it does provoke the Yetzirah and people come up with excuses. Oh, no, 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 I I don't want to learn Hasidus. So in other words, the Rebbe is saying, this is a slam dunk. You should be able to get people to learn Gemara. What's wrong with Gemara? Gemara, that's, that's basic Judaism. And you couldn't get anyone to do that? So I can only imagine your lack of influence in areas that people find questionable or new, or or uh, they're uncomfortable with, like like learning chesedus. And then the Rebbe goes on and he explains some just incredibly powerful imagery. Well, first the Rebbe says, "You know that bringing Mashiach depends on hafata Samayanas, which is very interesting that the Rebbe includes halukas hashas in hafata Samayanas. Very interesting. Learning a yotes kislev mesechta is part of Hafatsa samayonah, spreading out the wellsprings of the balshemtov. So we know the famous story of the balshemtov, emosi kosimar, when is the master coming? Mashiach's soul in heaven tells uh, tells the balshemtov, when when you, you Yisrael balshemtov's teachings become disseminated, balshemtov's yortzah, coming up, by the way, shvus. Um, so the Rebbe says, you know that Mashiach's coming depends on this. That doesn't give you a sense of urgency? Like, this is your lack of influence? You couldn't get anybody to take a Yud kislev uh, Mesechta and a Chalukas And then the Rebbe says, what well, I was going to tell you before, this really powerful imagery. The Rebbe says, picture the Alt Rebbe traveling across the world. The Alt Rebbe is touring the globe. And he passes through your town. He's talking to Rabbi Alten in Pittsburgh. He says he comes. The Alter Rebbe comes to your town, and he comes to your base madrash. Will the Alter Rebbe feel at home? Will he feel comfortable? Will he feel that he found his base madrash? Such a powerful image that the Rebbe is painting there. And the the upshot of all this is. And remember, this is 1949. This is before Yud Shvat. This is before the Rebbe receives officially leadership. Um, in fact, later in the letter, the Rebbe even says, and who am I to, to to point any of these problems out? You're right, who am I? I have no place telling anyone what, what to do, right? So this is officially the Rebbe working completely behind the scenes. But you see already the Rebbe's vision that there's something wrong with the idea of Anash, of of Chabad sidim being insular and building and 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 strengthening their own infrastructure without expansion and bringing new people into the fold. There's something wrong with that, something off mission about that. And this isn't even talking about. Basic Judaism like Tefillin and Mezuzah and Shabbos candles like the Mefzoyim, which later the Rebbe initiated. This is talking about things that are Hasidic practices, like Chalukas Hashas, or giving Maimud Nifne money. Um, these are specifically things that you associate with a Hasid, and the, and the Rebbe is saying that the al Rebbe should be able to come to your town, whether it's Paris or it's Pittsburgh, and you know, they call Pittsburgh the Paris of Appalachia. So there's your And the Altareba should feel at home in your town because he should recognize that this is his base madrash. this is his shul. So you see here the <laughs> the kernel, the, the the initial uh seed of of a vision that became developed over the years, and maybe this helps clarify something that I think a lot of us ask or wonder about from time to time: is our job and general basic Judaism and mitzvah observance, or is it afatzah samayonis and specifically not just chsedes but and the answer is yes, it's both. <laughs> it's both. Of course, it's both. Um, yeah, excuse me, sir, would you like to put on tefillin? Yeah, that's one of the Tayyag mitzvahs. There's nothing specifically Chabad about putting on tefillin, right? That's every yid has to put on tefillin. But then there's also something called connecting people to Chabad. Doesn't mean they have to become Lubavitchers. I don't think that's what it's saying here at all. In fact, it's pretty clear that that's not the point. The point is, even if they have a different identity and they follow different menhogim and they have their own community, they can still partake in some of these things that we perhaps selfishly consider to be our own inside tradition. The was saying, no, this is for everybody and I want to see everybody included. Okay. So, uh, yeah, let's continue here. And he explains this, the is rehashing what Shlom Chaim's letter said. So you explain, you said it's impossible to get anyone outside of our little tight-knit community to learn this, except for our own tight community. No one will, um, not to learn, I'm sorry, not to learn to give nifne. We cannot get anyone outside of our own little tight-knit community to give nifne. And you explain it with many explanations, many reasons. I mentioned this in previous classes, how the Rebbe will use your own letter <laughs> to answer you. This is famous. I mean, the Rebbe did this all the time. He would recycle back to you your own words. Sometimes to give you an answer, sometimes, like it's about to happen here, to point out a contradiction in your own logic. Um, but look, look what the Rebbe says here. You tell me, oh, we can't get anyone to give nifna, only the Chzidim. Two and a half lines before that, what did you just say? You wrote... You wrote to me that the Khsidim here are totally devoted to the Rebbe to the point of absolute sacrifice. And if you would order them to crawl into a hole, they would crawl into a hole. So you just told me two and a half lines earlier how devoted the chsidim are. They're ready to die, they're ready to give it all up. Pain and suffering, going through fire and water, and all, all of it. Okay. <laughs> Didn't it occur to you that when I ask you to collect my money for the Rebbe, that that is far less dangerous <laughs> or inconvenient than actual self-sacrifice? And yet, that you tell me you can't do, you don't see the contradiction. So, listen what the Rebbe says: mamlets Margish saye." It's a Gemara from Yuma Chov Beis Base. Uh, Beis. The Rebbe uses it a little bit differently, basically saying, "I'm, I'm, I'm sort of sarcastically, I'm happy to know that you don't feel that this is a problem. I'm, it's, it's nice for you that you don't sense the contradiction." It didn't even occur to you that there may be a contradiction between what you first said and what you said a couple lines later. You, you, you bring out the chassidim are ready for Messirah's and then you say, oh, but by the way, we're not able to raise Maimud funds outside of the chassidic community. You don't see how that's a contradiction? Now, this itself, I think, is something so important to understand. How the Rebbe, in many ways, redefined the notion of Mesidus Nafish. Mesidus Nafish is a a, Jewish concept. Particularly, it's a Hasidic concept, even, perhaps even more particularly in, in, in Chabad Hasidus. Hasidus Nefesh is spoken about at length as an expression of the, the etzim and nashama, the deepest expression of the essence of the Jew, which comes out at times of, of adversity and, 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 and clings to Hashem, no matter what the price. It speaks about this at length in Hasidus. Kayach for Mesiris Nafish. Look in Tanya, over here, chapters 18, 19, talks all about this. Actually, through all those green chapters right there, if you're watching on video, the podcast, you can't see this. But anyways. Um, so the idea of Mesiris Nafish is, a, is such a common idea in Chesidus, but the Rebbe sort of redefined it. You know, in the, in the Rebbe's last mimer, we ought to the Rebbe speaks about this, how there were people who were living under communism and they were able to risk everything in order to cling to Yiddishkeit. And then when they come to America and they come to a free land, and all of a sudden they're able to do everything that they wanted to do before, and they can't be bothered. They can't be inconvenienced anymore to do it. And, that ever sort of bemoans the fact that we, we, we think of Mesutis Nafish in terms of drama. They're going to come kill me if I don't bow to the idol. But Mesutis Nafish can be quiet Mesutis Nafish. Everyday Mesutis Nafish. It can just be your commitment to living a certain way, even when there's no threat. And that that's also Masidus Nefesh. That's also Masidus Nefesh. So don't tell me, I'm ready for Masidus Nefesh, but only if it's in a spectacular, dramatic way. Sometimes Masidus Nefesh is in quiet, everyday, mundane ways. Living a committed life. That's Masidus Nefesh. And in some ways, a bigger Masidus Nefesh, because you're not going out in a blaze of glory, like some hero on a battlefield. It's quiet. It's contained. But that's also Mr. enough. you know. During the, the Six-Day War, a lot of Americans flew to Eretz which was crazy because before the miracle of the Six-Day War, they were digging graves, mass graves, to get ready for all the, the deaths that they predicted. So everyone wanted to get out of Israel, not go to Israel, but a lot of Americans, they flew to Israel. They wanted to support the war effort, whatever they could do. So a lot of young people went to Israel during that time. And then miraculously, there was this victory in six days. So Golda Meir, this was before she was prime minister, she was, uh, she was the uh, foreign minister. She spoke to a group of these Americans. After the Six-Day War, they all got on planes. They started flying home. She wanted to make Aliyah, and to, to make their lives. And there were young people. She wanted, to make them, wanted them to make their lives in Israel. But all of a sudden, after they came to the war... Now the war's over, and now they're flying home, going back to America. So she says, I don't understand. In time of war, you were ready to die with us. But in time of peace, you're not willing to live with us. There's something about human psychology that finds it easier to give up our lives than to live the rest of our lives committed to our values. Maybe it's the difference between (laughs) something that's a one-off and something that you have to get up every single morning and recommit to. But this is the point. The Rebbe is saying, don't tell me that you're ready to be Meisei nafish. I'm asking you, go out and ask somebody who's not a Chabad Chassid, to give nifneh and send it in. That's the mitsitos Nefish. See, also you have to understand who the Rebbe is writing to. You're talking to people who were tortured, beaten, imprisoned. Many of them, perhaps most of them, of this group, had been tortured, beaten, imprisoned. Obviously, they hadn't been killed because they're all <laughs> they were all alive at the time. But they knew people who had been killed. It wasn't uncommon at all that they had friends and relatives who were murdered by the communists. So these were the people, the Frida Rebbe's Khsidim. okay? This is Darashishi, the sixth generation of Chabad. And it was all about being ready to die. Not just ready to die, they died. And that's what it was. That was Mesut HaSnefesh. The is saying to them that, and it's not Darshvi yet, we have to be careful here because this is tough shin test. This is 5709 but it's very much a preview of the Rebbe's generation that Mesiris Nefesh now, instead of dying for a cause, it means living for the cause. And living for the cause means sharing it with others. In other words, once upon a time, Mesiris Nefesh meant getting killed for being an observant Jew. Today, Mesiris Nefesh means Putting aside your self consciousness and going up to a stranger on a Manhattan street corner and saying, "Excuse me, sir, are you Jewish?" That's midas nefesh in our day. So you see, you see all of this sort of previewed in this letter that's written even before, even before the Rebbe took leadership. Okay, the Rebbe continues. Ki Experience has proven that any place where they actually try to collect nifne, where they actually make an earnest effort to do so, and the Rebbe mentions parenthetically Artsis America, Canada, Canada, Dream America, South America, Dream Africa, South Africa, Vahulu, and etc. Asupaula, they accomplished. Any place where they tried to do this, they were able to do it. Granted, not with equal success in every place. Understood. And the people who were doing this didn't have to pull out of their backpack actual self sacrifice. No one had to get killed doing this. <laughs> and they didn't have to you, the Rebbe uses Shlame Chaim's expression again jumping in a hole nobody had to jump in any hole oh we're ready to jump in a hole okay it's very nice no one's asking you to jump into a hole all you have to do is approach somebody speak to them the Rebbe's going to explain in the letter what it means how to approach them and how to speak to them the 8 furthermore these people saw the ones who collected Nifneh that not only did it not require them to sacrifice themselves, but to the contrary, they saw improvements in their own lives, materially and spiritually. And also, their reputation was improved in the eyes of those people that they collected the Maimit from. So you're telling me you're ready to be Mesa Nafish. Okay, so be Mesa Nafish, collect minded. But I want to tell you, the people who've already done this in America, in Canada, and South America, and South Africa, and they were successful. You know what they found? It wasn't such a Mercedes It was actually win-win. They actually gained from it, spiritually and materially. And I want to tell you, the people that they collected from came to respect them even more. They didn't, they didn't ruin their relationships with people by doing it. They actually came to be respected even more. The safe safe. And in the end, they saw that they were the ones who were getting and not giving. Even to the physical, material, monetary extent. So you're saying you're ready to give it all up? You Want to know something? You're not going to have to give anything up. Just do this thing that I'm asking you to do, and you're going to only gain. You will only gain in every way, including even materially. Ella shibemid. I mean, in the next paragraph, Ella shibemidin asam ato al pi hasbarase b'mechtave yeish minamuchen mesiris nefesh bepeil mamish upshte shekel mesiris haratzin vaseichel v'atam v'das. According to the explanations in your letter, in your country, meaning Paris, city in France, the Hsidim are ready for real Masiris Nefesh, which includes giving over their lives. So, no. <laughs> it's dot, dot, dot. Like, so, new. They had success doing this in other places where maybe the Hsidim were not such Bali Masiris Nefesh like you guys. So, no. <laughs> Where's the nifna? This must be known. kavanasi chas What I'm writing right now is not directed to any one individual. I mentioned that before we started the letter. Saying to Shlomo I'm not bashing you. I'm not saying anything individual to you. Because who am I to say that a specific person has to do a specific thing? It's not my place. Remember, this is before the Rebbe's Rebbe is yachad. I'm talking about the group as a collective, as a community. And that your group surely has everything that you need. You have all the capabilities that you require to do your job, to do your mission, which is spreading the wellsprings of the Balshamtov and the Alter to the Jewish community of France, the wider Jewish community of France. And we have but one wellspring through which we draw all of the wellsprings of the Baal Shem Tov and the Al-Terebbe, who, and that is, Kved Kedushas, Meidi, Vechamia, Admor, Shlita, my revered father-in-law, the Rebbe, may he be well. It's very interesting. There's a fabrengen after Yud Shvat, Toshin Yud Aleph, Toshin Shabbos Vayeti, Parshish Vayeti Tes Kislev, which is the birthday and the site. And the of the Mitlerbe, and the Rebbe is speaking about uh, about the Mitlerbe and saying that today is a day where we have an opportunity to give a pawn, pidyon Nefesh, a petition for prayer to the Mitt and the Rebbe says, and it's understood that anyone who had an opportunity, any one of you who would be given the opportunity to give a pawn, to hand a upon that the Mitle Rebbe, that the Mitle Rebbe should pray for you, would jump at that opportunity. And the way that we, that we do that is by learning his chesidus, and that's how, we, that's how we give a pan. But then the Rebbe says something very interesting. <laughs> and it's almost like, who was thinking this? Who, who was bothered by this? But the Rebbe preempted this and said, and in case you're going to say, well, why the Mitle Rebbe? Why not the Fidik Rebbe? The Rebbe says, "That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> I'm talking about the Fidik Rebbe, because and this is after Yichvat. This is after the passing of the Fidik Rebbe. The Rebbe is saying to us, our connection to the mittler Rebbe is through the Fidik Rebbe, and to the Balshamtiv and the Alter Rebbe, and, and and the Rebbe then actually goes through how all of the different nasiim correspond to different spheroids. So the Balshamtiv is Atik and the Magid is Arich." And, and the Alter Rebbe is, is Chochmah, and the Rebbe is Bina, and is, is, is Das, and so on and so forth. And he says, but it's all combined in the feder Rebbe, and that's our way to connecting to all the Rebbeim. The Rebbe actually mentions there something very interesting regarding his work in Kohos. You know, the Rebbe worked in the publishing arm of Lubavitch before he became Rebbe, even. One of, that was one of his uh, jobs he was appointed to by the, by the Fidiker Rebbe. So he says, when we started to design the sharblot, the uh, title page for the chesidish sforum that come out, the the sforum of the the rabayim, there's a question of what expression we should use to title the series. Should it be shalshalas ha'or or or, shalshalas ha'ma'or? The chain of light or the chain of the luminary? And he said, we decided it's shalshalas ha'or the chain of light, because the the luminary, is but one. There's no chain. Only that in each generation, that same luminary reappears in a way that fits the mission of that generation. So it's one Rebbe. And our way of connecting to that one Rebbe, which includes from the Baal Shem all the way to the present, is through our Rebbe. So that's what the Rebbe is writing here. You're there to spread out the wellsprings of the Balshamtiv and the Alt Rebbe. And what does that mean? To connect people to the Rebbe. It also answers a question people ask a lot. You know, what does Hafatz Sameyunas mean? Why isn't it enough? A person should appreciate the Balshamtiv. And the Rebbe is saying here, you want people to appreciate the Balshamtiv. You want to connect people to the Balshamtiv. We connect people to the Baal by connecting them to the Rebbe. And specifically, as the Rebbe is going to say here, by collecting Nifne. As self-conscious as you may be about that, as awkward as that may feel, collecting money, asking people for money. But the Rebbe is going to talk about how important it is and how to do it, how to do it properly. (coughs) Okay, let's continue. (laughs) Vaal day his kashris Okay, i got to take, take this apart. Through connecting to this wellspring, meaning to the Frida Karebe, connecting ourselves bodily, and the rebbe says there in parentheses a quote from Tanya, Pedaglamat Zion of Tanya. Pedaglamat Zion of Tanya, it speaks about the power of Tzedakah. Why is Tzedakah so powerful? because I, mean, I was talking about it before when I was introing this letter about would having that purity of not being seichal or it's no, There's no intellect or emotion. It's just physic, physicality, pure physicality. So in Tanya, Pedic Lamed Zayin, it's explaining how powerful mitzvahs are, and especially the quintessential mitzvah, which is tzedakah. In the Yerushalmi, when it says ha mitzvah, without Qualifying which mitzvah, it means tzedakah, because tzedakah is the mitzvah par excellence. It is the quintessential mitzvah. Why? Because the whole point of a mitzvah is physicality. And what's more physical than tzedakah, where you take funds that you earn through your labor and funds that you could have used to procure your own physical needs, and then you take it and you turn it into a mitzvah, that's the ultimate transformation and elevation of the physical. So the Rebbe says, when you give maimud, when you give money, your hard-earned money that you could use to to buy bread, and you turn that into maimud money, you're connecting that physicality of yourself to the Rebbe. So that's called hiskashrus haguf, and then also hiskashrus hanafish, gam maim. So when you do that, gam maim chulu naisa maim chayim. So then even waters which are not living waters. Become living waters. If there's like a stream that itself becomes supplied by uh, a wellspring, then it becomes halachically considered part of the wellsprings for purposes of ritual purity. That's the halacha, meaning look at how water works. When you have a body of water that becomes supplied by a by a by a, a wellspring then it itself halachically becomes part of the wellspring. So here's how you become united with the wellspring. You connect to the wellspring through the body and through the soul. We didn't talk about through the soul yet, but through the body is taking money that you could have used to procure your physical needs, and you're giving it away. You're giving it to the Rebbe, and you're turning that physicality into a deep connection to the Rebbe. It's a very powerful concept here. The Rebbe doesn't say this here, but um, it's somewhat implied. The, the quote from Tanya, liknes chay is talking about how the giver could have used the funds for his own physical needs. There's another aspect here, which is sort of implied, but that is, that when you give that money as Maimud or Nifnah to the Rebbe, you're giving it to the Rebbe in a form which the Rebbe can then use to procure his physical needs. Now, what are the physical needs of a Rebbe? It's a whole different uh, ballpark. But a Rebbe has physical needs, and... uh, When funds were given to Maimud, it was generally understood that the Rebbe would use these funds. I'm talking about back to the times of the Rebbe, that Maimud included the upkeep of the Rebbe's home, his family, his home, um, but also not just his his private home, his shul, and its physical auspices, the actual building. And... uh, there's a physicality on both ends, both from the giver and, and the recipient. Um, I'll tell you a wild story, actually, that I don't think is very well known. And that is that there was a chassid, the Mesha Pinchas Katz, and one of his uh, things that he did was collect Maimed. And he collected Maimed for the, the times of the Fidic Rebbe. And after Yud Shvat, after the Fidic Rebbe's passing, the Rebbe wanted that it should continue, that they should continue collecting Maymud specific specifically for the Fidic Rebbe. And I'm not going to get into the whole background of this, but a few years after Yud Shvat, I don't know if he said it or he merely implied to the Rebbe that he wasn't that passionate about the work because... He felt that it w- when, when it was in the Rebbe's lifetime, meaning the Friedrich Rebbe's lifetime, that was one thing. But now it was after the Friedrich Rebbe's passing, and he wasn't that passionate about that cause. He wanted to maybe give the funds for something else. And now in actuality, the, what were the funds being used? The Friedrich Rebbe's meime, that the Rebbe continued to collect after Yud Shvat was basically going to the Friedrich Rebbe's Rebetzin to upkeep her quarters, her living quarters in 770, and uh, as upkeep for her. So Mesh Katz intimated that he wasn't that drawn to this work anymore. And the Rebbe said something absolutely staggering, if you understand the halachas involved here. The Rebbe sensed uh, Mesh Pinchas Katz's... uh, lack of enthusiasm for the project and said was art dear halten what does it hurt you to help my father-in-law to maintain the conditions of his marital contract <laughs> now if you if you know anything about Aksubah. You know, we, we learn Rambam, so if you do Gimel you learn about this at least once a year. In Hilchas Ishes, in uh, Perik uh, Yud base. it talks about it also later in Perik uh, Yud Ches, about Aksubah, The first But the first place is in Yud Base, Tenoia And Tenoia the conditions of the marital contract, basically is talking about an obligation that a husband has during his lifetime to support his wife, to, to give her livelihood after he passes there's an estate and she benefits from the estate and if he has a house she lives in the house and she she gets sustenance from the estate but there's no concept of a person who's no longer living to have any type of financial responsibilities anymore to go and earn money to collect it to have it sent to him I mean, any you understand after someone passes there's an estate the woman is uh, the wife is, is sustained from that, but there's no obligation on a person who's passed away <laughs> that he has to go out and make a living. It'll be the the height of irony that a person who's no longer living should have to go out and make a living. So the fact that the is said the Rebbe surely knew the halachas and what aksuba meant that giving maimud to the viduk after yudshvat was helping the Fidik Rebbe, to uphold his obligation according to his marital contract, to Ksuba, is basically something you would say about a living person. And, and, and it's a very strong statement because, you know, the Rebbe would say, when it comes to halacha, we observe the halachas, that there was a, there was a histalkus, and we have to say Kaddish, but... When it comes to hergish, you know, a person's feeling, their personal feeling, okay, so they can feel connected, the Rebbe is still with us. But the Rebbe would distinguish between those two things. But here you see where the Rebbe is making a statement that has halachic implications, and in the realm of halacha, making a statement about the Friedrich Rebbe in a manner that uh, it mandates us to view the Friedrich Rebbe as a living person. Very interesting story. I don't think very well known. And uh, hopefully it will become well known. And also, I should just mention, since now the letter is going to take us three hours to, to learn, that the same thing can be applied today about giving Maimud to the Rebbe after Gimel Thomas. <sighs> First of all, I think people are ignorant. They they don't know about it. They don't know about it. I, 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 I think there are plenty of xidim who know about learning Rambam and learning Chitas and, and going on Miftzoyim and, and the Chalukas Hashas that we mentioned before, they don't know that part of his kashas is giving Maymud. So it, I think a lot of it is just ignorance. And some of it may also be cynicism. People say, eh, well, when the devil was alive, I would give money, but now... Okay, well, let me just address that. First of all, what, what do you think that Rebbe was buying? Before Gimel Thomas, what was the Rebbe buying with his money? You think it was personal enrichment? Chas sure. Most of what the Rebbe spent personal, actually the proper term to use here is discretionary funds. Most of what the Rebbe used discretionary funds for was communal projects. But if you want to talk about personal expenditures, okay, so there was the upkeep of the Rebbe's home, that continues today. Who, who, who do you think pays for the Rebbe's home? There's a home on President Street. It's there. It has to be, uh, it has to be maintained. Where, where are the funds for that? That's Maimud. <laughs> the Rebbe's shul. That's how Maimud was spent before Gimel Thomas. The Rebbe's shul. Okay, well, last year when the, when the bricks broke in front of 770 and they were fixed, magically, they just somebody just showed up and fixed them, who paid for that? Maimud. Okay? The Rebbe's library. The Rebbe's library. Who, who keeps up the library? There's a building there. There's a staff. There are people. Scholars have to get paid. Who pays for that? Maimud. Now what's Maimud? There's no bank account called Maimud. There never was a bank account called Maimud. When the Rebbe would receive checks from Maimud, the Rebbe would endorse them over to Machne Yisro. And that's what continues till, till today. There's a fund within Machne Yisro. You can go on the Machne website and you check off. You give, there's many different funds that they maintain. But you can select that you're giving to Maimud, specifically that this is for Maimud, and you're designating those funds for those, for those projects. So whatever was done before Gimel is done today. And if you want to be super cynical and say, well, if I could hand it right to the Rebbe, I would do it. But I don't know who's handling it now. You want to know something? <laughs> if you want to be super cynical, the same person that the Rebbe handed it to is still handling those funds. So <laughs> there's really no reason to say that there would be any difference as far as giving Maimud today and before Gimel Thomas. And I really just think it's something that people don't know, uh, know enough about. And I mean, it's Hashem from this class and maybe from other things will get the word out and people will appreciate what an important part of his kashrus uh, that really is. Anyways, um yeah, okay, let's let's continue here. Um terase Uhvey Tai Rosai, Bob Mihtove. Ukinira meheter hapule Zahugamkay. So you come along in your letter. We just said that giving Maimut is something that connects you to the Rebbe. Physically, in a very special way, in a unique way. Why wouldn't you want someone to have that benefit? And then you come along, and the Rebbe says in Yiddish, cold-bloodedly, your geyser, geyser has a double meaning in Lush and Kodesh. It can mean to decree, but it can also mean to cut off, and that's what the Rebbe says there in Yiddish, shnight up, cut up, you cut off. You come along, and you cut off these people, and you say, oh, I'm sorry, they're not going to be interested. They wouldn't be interested. No, 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 Maimed will come from the Sidim. From this little community, but I'm sorry, this is it. Just won't fly. It, it won't play in Peoria, <laughs> like the marketing people say. Sorry, can't talk about this to normal people. So the Rebbe continues. Gather, gather together the chassidim and, and make an accounting. How much effort was actually put toward this? You're not going to have to debate very long and you're going to immediately realize the reason that nothing has been accomplished is because no effort was put in. So that's what the Rebbe is saying here. You're telling me we can't get anyone beyond the Hasidic brotherhood to give nifneh and I'm telling you, it's because you haven't even tried. And why wouldn't you try if you, un- if you understood how important this is? This should be something that you should be putting forth effort, especially when you claim to possess such willingness for self-sacrifice. Now, here's a wonderful part of this letter. Beautiful, like, vignette or little slice of life here. And I actually, in a nosy kind of way, the nudnik that I am, I tried to find out who this is. And I have some clues, but I don't know, so I'm not going to say. But if anyone knows, oh, how I would love to hear who this is referring to. Okay. Avrechachod. <speaking in Hebrew> there was a younger man. There was a young man. came <speaking in Hebrew> who had to flee his place. You know, in that era, a lot of people had to flee. Whether because of the Holocaust or because of communism, not sure which one it is. He had to flee his place. He wasn't a guy who knew how to daven. Aveda satvila means the chassidisha davening, like meditative davening. He didn't know how to do that, no? He wasn't a masculine and he wasn't an ovid. Take us another hour to explain what's a masculine and an ovid. The point is, he wasn't a big chassid. He didn't even have a beard. And in fact, he never learned in Remember that I was speaking to people who all studied in Maybe even the real, original Taimchit in Lubavitch. <coughs> this guy I'm talking about now, he didn't learn in Taimchit and in fact, he didn't learn in Yeshiva at all. No. Nodod leMedina Rechaika. He ended up wandering to a faraway place. Rechaika beYeser. Hein baMakhem Hein ben yoni Yadis. Geographically distant and also Jewishly very remote. VeKa VeKa vore Esman after a while We started getting Remember the Rebbe is the secretary of the Rebbe. He works in 770 He says that after a while We started noticing an influx of letters Coming from That place where this guy That I'm talking about was living And these were Not Chabad names These were not familiar names all of a sudden, we're we're getting letters from all types of Jews. Ula <laughs> dogma. For example, Meisha Biles Asik. There was a woman who owned a store, a business. Shmitziem law, liskir chanos vedira bechelik Echot shela ir ay bechelik acher and she needed to decide whether she should rent a storefront in one part of the city or in another part of the city. So she wrote in to the Friedrich Rebbe asking what she should do. Now the Rebbe says here, This woman who wrote the letter never saw the Friedrich Rebbe. And she knows that the Freedek Rebbe never visited her city or, or her entire country. He was never there. She knows that. She's not from the Hasidic community. She's not even from Hasidic lineage. Meaning, not even culturally chesidic. But when she heard from this young man his heartfelt words, remember this young man who never learned in yeshiva and didn't even have a beard? But he spoke from the heart to this woman. He spoke to a lot of people. One of the people he spoke to was this lady, the shopkeeper. When he spoke and she heard his heartfelt words, that there is. Is a Rebbe among the Jews. And he is not limited with the normal limitations of nature. And anyone who wants to be sure in their path, in business, in family life, or whatever. You don't lift your hand, you don't make a move. Before you ask the Rebbe. She saw that this young man was sincere when he described this. Because the truth is recognizable. So she told him to write this letter for, for her. And what happens? is she automatically becomes someone who will give nifne. In other words, the Rebbe is now explaining. You're going to say you're going to walk up to a stranger and say, "Give money to the fiduker Rebbe." I don't know who that is. I don't know why I'm supposed to give money. But the Rebbe says it's a process. It's a process. This guy, who's not like you, he he's, he didn't learn in temchitemimim. He doesn't have that background but he's very sincere and he tells people you got to write to the rabbit and they believe him and then they write to the rabbit and then when he says and now send some money to the rabbi," it's sort of like a logical thing for them to do it's very natural for them so you're saying oh it's too out of left field for people well yeah it's out of left field if you don't cultivate but this guy he would cultivate not, not as a strategy but because that's just how he sincerely felt that's that's how he lived, so that's how he spoke. And people heard it, and they, they were moved by it. So this lady, automatically, now she, she's giving nifna. A lady like this is giving nifna. And then what happens? Um, this, this is powerful. Umis It brings her close to Yiddishkeit. See, that's such a powerful thing. That writing to the Rebbe about a question about a store and sending nifna money is her first step to Yiddishkeit this is a process that will lead her down a path it is a certainty now that it is a matter of time. Eventually, her family will be led with, be, will be conducted in a way of kashras. They're going to eat kosher food. And they're going to have mikveh in their marriage. All that's going to come about. It's going to happen because now she got connected and the process has been initiated. And this is what's going to happen. Yeah, alematel des pules avrich Poshet. These is th- this this little story here. It's just one example. These are the fruits of one simple. He calls him an avrich pashet. One simple young man. Again, without all the advantages of you guys, the Rebbe is speaking to these guys. You guys are from the real Chabad backgrounds, and you have all that Chabad upbringing with the Chabad Mesidus Nefesh, and you're ready to die for the Rebbe. Beautiful. I want to tell you something. He's a simple guy, never learned temichetemimimim, doesn't know how to daven, he's not He's not annoyed, he's not a masculine, he doesn't have a beard, but he has a very sincere feeling about the Rebbe. And people recognize recognize this when he speaks, and he gets people to write to the rebbe and to send maimon money to the rebbe, and those people get started on a path that will eventually bring them to Jewish observance. So this is what one person can accomplish. Since you're making excuses that it can't be done, I'm telling you, case in point, it can be done. Yeah. So this is what one guy did. And he does it without self-sacrifice, guys. You don't need to do it with self-sacrifice or accepting of the yoke. You know why? Because for him, this isn't something that he has to go against his 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 brain to do. It's not even against you know. There's there's your godly understanding and there's your human understanding. He says the rabbi here says this guy when he does this, it's not Mercedes Nefesh for him, because it just makes sense to him. This is a logical thing that you would tell people you meet about the Rebbe. Turn the page, to page 8. This guy, when he spoke to people about the Rebbe, he did it with such a pshittis, with such it was such a natural thing to do, because it's based on what he saw, that the Rebbe's word is a word, that the Rebbe's blessing is a blessing, and that even his animal soul agrees to this. So it didn't require great Messiris Nefesh. He did not come to this through deep analysis of mystical texts. That Rebbe is saying, about these chassidim, you guys, you learn and you daven, and you think, and beautiful. I want to tell you something. It doesn't take all that. It just takes simply looking at reality, looking at the track record of the Rebbe, and coming to a very simple conclusion, which this simple young man was able to do, and it he's not capable of all that deep analysis. So clearly it's not about the deep analysis, and to the contrary, maybe your deep analysis is getting in the way. Elisha <laughs> Shalayiv and and rather experience has shown his experience and the experience of people he knows. Had a light, and here the Rebbe says in Yiddish, "As is given good—that if you listen to the Rebbe, it's good. And if you didn't follow, you didn't follow, you didn't obey, wasn't so good. Obemey lekemey lechol so he was not embarrassed to speak to anyone about this. I'm sorry. Just like you wouldn't be embarrassed to commit, just like you would not be embarrassed to tell somebody the address of an expert doctor, a specialist. Somebody needs a specialist. You wouldn't be embarrassed to say, oh, I think I know a guy. You see a person who's facing a dilemma, or he has a serious question in life, so you're going to tell him, just like you wouldn't be embarrassed to tell him the name of a doctor if he needed one. The Jewish people were not abandoned. We have somebody to ask. We have somebody to ask. Furthermore, not only would you not be embarrassed to go tell the guy about the Rebbe if you, if you saw that he needed something that the Rebbe can do for him, but you wouldn't wait for him to tell you. Oh, you know, do you know a guy? Oh, I happen to know a guy. No, you wouldn't wait. Because <laughs> probably... This guy doesn't even know what a Rebbe is, so what are you going to wait for him? He's going to come to you and say, listen, I heard about, sometimes it happens, I heard about a thing, about writing to the Rebbe, oh, oh, yeah, talk it. You know, you don't wait for that, because he hasn't even heard of the concept. You go to him, you explain to him, you don't have to rely on your own estimation, on your own... uh, on your own evaluation. You don't have to rely on the Shadchan. You don't have to rely on the doctor. sarso, you don't have to rely on the, on the broker making the deal. All of those things are doubtful. You have one way To remove all doubt Our sages assure us That if you say something with sincerity It will be accepted that way So don't wait until the person comes to you And asks you if this is a real thing Go to him Everyone's got issues Everyone's got things they need clarity about And tell him about this concept Now The Rebbe is going to train us how to do this. The Rebbe is going to give us actual steps how to speak to people to warm them up to this idea. All right, let's continue. Let's get back to the point of your letter. In your group are the best and the brightest, the all-stars. And truly, these are people who were heroes, real heroes. I don't say that term lightly. Heroes of Judaism in communist Russia. So the Rebbe says, you guys are the best and the brightest. You guys saw the Rebbe Rishab. And you guys saw my father-in-law, the Rebbe. You were tested with all types of tests. These guys went through hell, Literally. They went through the hell of Stalinist oppression. They went through the hell of the Holocaust. They went through the hell of of, of the war and of being displaced and of being refugees. These people went through so much. And you guys, you worked on yourselves and you learned the Hasidic texts and you applied the Hasidic texts. And you refined yourself. And you're so spiritual. You've got it all. Nimtso <sighs> Betrila Bekemp. Now, what's this camp? This camp. This is a DP camp, a displaced persons camp. And specifically, one that I was referring to, the camp. He means Poking Pine City, which, it's an, it's an American name, but uh, it was in Germany. After the Holocaust, obviously, there were a huge number of Jews who had no home to go back to. And many of them had no families to go back to. They were the only survivors from their families. So there were displaced persons camps, DP camps, that were set up in Germany after Germany was conquered. And there were areas that were under the administration of the different allies. So there was one area that was under the administration of the United States. They say that the, I don't know if this is true or not, but that the DP camps that were in the U.S. administrated areas of Germany, you could actually get easier a U.S. visa, and that was what was attractive about it. Not sure if that's true or not, but that's what I heard. So there was a DP camp that was actually set up at an old U.S. Army base. And it was the second largest of the DP camps. And at its height, I think there were over 7,000 Jews living there. And uh, in fact, Rebbe Sinchana, the Rebbe's mother, lived in that DP camp and many Lubavitcher families lived in that DP camp. And I could get into a whole story about how the Lubavitchers came out of Russia with fake Polish passports and the whole train from Lvov and going uh, across the border after World War II. We're not going to get into that, but they ended up in poking pine city DP camp in Germany. It's like, Two hours from Munich. It's like in southern Germany. I think it's near Austria. It is near Austria. Um, so the Rebbe, and Shlemich was one of them who was in this DP camp. And so were, I don't know if all of the people in Paris, the Lubavitchers in Paris, had been in this DP camp, but a lot of them had. They had shared that experience. So the Rebbe now, at this point of the letter, is referring to their activities when they were in the DP camp. Yeah. So, In the camp, there were thousands of Jews who were thirsting for a warm, vibrant word. These were people whose lives were turned upside down, and they were, they were looking for meaning. It's, it's, it's wild when you think about it, but the Rebbe is saying to them, you had a prime opportunity. These people, these Jews, from all places in Europe, from all backgrounds, from all levels of observance, it doesn't matter, they had one thing in common, their lives had been turned upside down, and they were looking for meaning. And if you guys would have set up shop in the DP camp, you would have been able to connect all of these people. Why didn't that happen? Why was this incredible opportunity completely, completely uh, mishandled. It, it's wild if you think about it, because you're talking to the people, these Hasidim were in the DP camp, they were also in the DP camp, their lives had also been turned upside down. But the I is saying to them, that when you were in the DP camp, you had an opportunity. Let's continue. They were looking for something. Lemila shal hesedidus vikutov. They were looking for a word that would inspire them and bring them close. The young people especially were looking for guidance. They were rudderless. They were, they were looking for someone to just make meaning for them. Where is Moshe? This parallels what the Jews were saying when Moshe delayed coming down from the mountain. But where is Moshe, who took us out of, not Mitzrayim, but Mitzarim, out of the uh, constrictions and the, the narrow places, and is going to show us a, a path in life? These people had all experienced absolute heartbreak, and they were craving some sense, some type of meaning, some way to put the pieces back together. Why didn't you, why didn't you heed that call? Here's the question: How many chizim did you pick up in the, in the in the DP camps? How many people did you bring to Tadosh Balshemtiv and the Altereb? It's interesting. I was thinking about it. I don't know if I've heard of any Chabad families that come from the camps. And I was thinking about, well, you know, it wasn't really such a, a great time for the, the people who were in the camps. I mean, talking about the Lubavitches. I was thinking about this, that, you know, when the Friedrich Rebbe left Russia, it wasn't exactly on pleasant terms. I mean, you do know that when the Friedrich Rebbe left Russia, stalinist russia it was because i know we don't say this because the it doesn't use these words but i just want to make sure everyone understands that there was a death sentence you do understand that and he had to leave russia because it was not a safe place and he was also a, a refugee of sorts but you know it's interesting wherever the freedom went whether it was uh, Riga or Advatsk, there were payis there were <laughs> the Si were made and were, there were people who were drawn close and even if they didn't become labavichers, okay but they 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 tasted from Sis they they, they they developed a warmth and an appreciation for Sis in every one of these places so that's what the Deb is saying it's like yeah, it's not necessarily always under the most pleasant conditions that you arrive in a place. Maybe you arrive there as a war refugee. But if you're in a place, look around, look around. You know, there are people who are thirsting. Reach out to them. So the Rebbe's complaining here. There were, there were no, I'd never heard of the people who were brought close while you guys were in the camps. Now the Rebbe goes on. kemp. I spoke at that time, or I wrote at the time, to the Sidim in one of the big camps, or the largest, I think the largest group of chassidim in, in the camp, and I told them they should work with the youth. But I'm say something interesting here in parentheses. Okay. I, I told them work with them first spiritually because I, I didn't see there was anything physically really that could be done. Meaning, like, the material situation was so absolutely abysmal. So there was nothing really physically that could be done. But you could give them spirituality that you have. So I was answered at that time. There's certainly a good idea. Taxive light but we first we have to get a budget for this. Turn the page. Rather, what they told me is: here's what we'll do. Let's get the chsedim out of the DP camps and get them settled in permanent residences. And then, after they're settled in permanent residences, They'll travel back, they'll commute back to the DP camps where they used to live. And there they will engage in the work with great self-sacrifice. So the Rebbe says, I told them, get to work being the people in the camps. I was told, great idea, but we need a budget first. And really what we need to do, first let's get the Chassidim settled. And then afterwards, they'll commute back to the DP camp and they'll work with people. Yeah. So the Rebbe says... Now, I mentioned it a second time. Not in writing, but through somebody who visited there. I'm not sure who the Rebbe is referring to, who the Rebbe sent to uh, give over this message. But I sent somebody, somebody who's going to visit the camp. I sent him with this message, new, let's get to work. So, Bahru kemedumali bevad. What happened? What were the results? They elected a committee. (laughs) And that was the end of it. And the results are known, meaning garnished. Nothing. That's always the death of any project. You elect a committee, and then you are confident nothing else is going to happen after that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Haben sich anash abgematert. Okay, niraasher ga hat man sich abgemattet Und gesen, as es is Rachmanesafid. Anash are tired. Yeah, they they've gone through a lot. Yeah, and it's Rachmanes. Like, it's it's it is a pitiful situation. No no doubt about it. Men mattet zich und anatolk. All of this is coming to no, to no avail. Via vium you're here now in a settled place in Paris. I maybe, 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 maybe now you're gonna get started with the work. V'hinei is chazitzich iber der ganzer seder. The whole pattern is just repeating itself. Yes, or more aptly stated, the lack of pattern, the lack of order, meaning chaos. I told you back in the camps to get to, to work. You told me you couldn't do it in the camps or you gave excuses how you would implement it later. And now, now, it, now it's later. Now you're in Paris. Now you're settled. Where are the activities? It's, it, it, nothing's happening. It's over a year that you're in Paris. What is the bottom line? Some total of your activities, of your work, of outreach in Paris. be Paris, a year and a half ago, I myself, I was in Paris. Remember, this letter is from 1949. The Rebbe went and visited Paris in 1947, the spring, early summer of 47, to bring back his mother, Rebbe Tzinchana. And they arrived back in America on Chof Seven. Second time the Rebbe arrived in America, also on Chof Seven. Both times the Rebbe came to America was Chof Chasivin, 41 and 47. Very interesting. So I was in Paris a year and a half ago. barti Kama Palmim. And I spoke many times. At Shavad Nifne They humoured me. The Rebbe says they did it out of respect for me. They appointed a committee of nifne for the city. And they got people who are supposedly able to, to deal with outsiders. From time to time, I would inquire what's going on, you know, what's up with the NIFNA committee. And I would find out, nothing, nothing's going on. Not spiritual Maimud and not material Maimud. Interesting concept. So mostly this letter is talking about literal, physical Maimud. Money. Funds that are sent. But there's also a concept of spiritual Maimud that would be the spiritual connection, learning chassidus and doing things following the ways of the Rebbe, more of the the customs. That's the spiritual half of it. But there's also the physical half. So I didn't hear that anyone in Paris is getting involved in either of those two halves. And it's interesting what the Rebbe says here, this next part of the sentence. Shnei achatzoyim, these two halves, li mis Except in very unusual circumstances or rare circumstances really the two have to go together. The two have to go together. So uh, I didn't hear any of this. Gam ani hoyisi same im safe safe hoyamishahu mediani. I would be very happy if ultimately someone would come along and set me straight and inform me, that no, 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 they were doing a lot of this work, you just didn't know about it. I would be very happy to find out that I just didn't know about it. Oh, I didn't know. Very happy to find out. I'd be very happy to find out. And that not only did they affect many people, but they gave money to the to the organizations. And that they were even learning chassidim, and they were becoming chassidim. Or even if they didn't become chassidim, they had some type of a feeling of connection to the Rebbe. V'hinei. But I can see from your letter that this entire type of work is out of the question. It's just not on your radar. The Rebbe says. Pita Asher Shmira Satzir, from the Egen Dala Dames, the Reshes Aved Rabba V'yegiat Midas. Very interesting concept here. Obviously, it's important (laughs) to guard your own image. I don't think that I was saying that in the most superficial sense of like trying to fool people, trying to look a certain part. I think what that I was saying is there is such a concept of a community making certain prioritization of maintaining its own infrastructure. beis achas But even in the beis hamigdash, guarding the beis hamigdash was only one of the forms of service. Vele kehanim kula Not all of the kehanim did it. It's Very interesting. Every summer we learn hilchas uh, beis bechira. This summer we will we'll take a tour in the real beis hamigdash shlishi, but. Every year, you know, the Rebbe was very into, during the three weeks, to learn the Hilches Beis from the Rambam, from Mishneh Torah Sefer So over there in Perekches, it talks about the Mitzvah to guard the Beis HaMikdash. So it's interesting what the Rebbe is saying here, that there's <coughs> maintaining your community, um, looking after your own, And that's kind of what the Rebbe calls shmiras hamikdosh. But then there's all the other avaidus, all the other forms of service, and that's what the Rebbe is referring to as outreach. It's kind of an interesting imagery there, that especially you're talking about 1949, after the Holocaust, after the war, and so many uh, Jewish communities were absolutely reeling, and a lot of the prioritization was placed on rebuilding their own infrastructure, not outreach. How, how can I go deal with other people? I'm, I'm, I'm trying to rebuild my life. And, and if I can manage to do that, maybe rebuild my community, my, my little Daladames. And the is calling that like, yeah, it's, that's important. That's like, but that's only one of the avitis. You can't just have kehanim who guard the beis hamikdash, you know mashpim who work with people who are already anash. You have to also have people who are going out and finding new blood and reaching out to the Jewish community as a whole, even when you're reeling from the, your devastating circumstances of life. It's not an excuse. Because you know what? The people you need to be reaching out to are also reeling from their devastating circumstances of life. Yeah, everyone's still with me? This is the real Tikkun Lausche voice. (laughs) We're going to stay up all night. Two nights. Okay. (sighs) Let's keep going. Oh, remember I said earlier that I was going to teach us how to do it, how to cultivate. <laughs> Obviously, if you walk up to someone on the street and say, Jew, give money. It's a, it's a joke. I mean, that's a, it's like the Russian uh, bandits uh, the muggers would say, Jid, Divai Groshi, Jew, give money. So if you're going to walk up to somebody like a stick up man, you know, like a, like a mugging. Yeah, obviously, it's not going to be too successful. You walk up to somebody and say, Give me money. The et name, leplani, benplani, animtse, bemercha kama, lafin, parsois, and give that money to someone you never heard of who lives across the ocean. You don't know him. You don't have any connection to him that you know of. But rather, but you know why you should do it because he is a bal myles gavayes He's a very he's a person of sterling character. You're gonna go and approach people like that. You You're gonna sound like a scam artist. You can't do that, obviously. You can't walk up to people cold and say, Give money to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. Who's the Lubavitcher Rebbe? I don't know who you're talking about. I don't know why you're asking me to send him money. This is totally inappropriate. Right, okay. So that's not how to approach people. That's not how to do it. But on the other hand, it's obvious. That if you believe deeply and deeply in a way where your faith is totally integrated into all of your soul powers, you're completely, you're completely uh, holistic in this faith. It's not compartmentalized. It really, it guides you in all of your thinking and your feeling and your behavior. If that faith has completely permeated you, Shadas, You know that the blessing of a certain holy man holds power. And you know that this particular guy, this acquaintance of yours, needs some type of blessing in some area of life. Whether it's in family matters or... Health or in money, or perhaps the person is in a dangerous situation. Humanity dictates, and 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 the love of your fellow Jew dictates, and 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 a sense of saving a life dictates. If you have even A slight doubt that maybe he might listen to you? You are obligated to chase him down and tell him, have pity on yourself, and on your family, and on everyone who matters to you. Do not rely on your own understanding. It's a turn of phrase from Shlaima Melech from Mishlei. Lameid Dach, learn Chizidus. He's plain beplain beplaini. Connect yourself to the Rebbe. say al pid thevodav. Do what he says. Va'oz tatzliach, and then you will succeed. If you go like that with sincerity, viyadua havtoch ad morazokin. It's known we have a promise from the Alt Rebbe. What chsidim will do, if they'll make an effort, they're going to be successful. So obviously, you can't go up to people in a wild way. But if it's a sincere thing, if you believe, if you believe that there's something to this relationship, then it's the most natural thing that you would speak about this To others In fact it would be cruel Not to speak about it with them I'm not pretending by the way This is easy I'm not pretending That I don't personally Need to hear this letter Um You know, I've been in places, speaking to crowds, where I didn't have to mention to people that if you want to meet me at the aisle, you should email me, and if you give me 24-hour notice, and if I'm in town, I'll meet you at the aisle. I didn't have to mention that. In some ways, it is a little bit. I am a little self-conscious. Maybe they'll hear that, and it'll just be too much. It's too intense, and then they won't want to listen to the rest of my message. I, I understand the concern completely. But uh, then I ask myself, is this something that I'm taking on faith? Like, is it, is it a hike? Is, is it like para a That it feels awkward to tell someone else about it? Or is this something that even my Bamas knows is true? And if even my Nevis Bamas knows it's true, it's weird not to talk about it. Why, (laughs) it's weird not to talk about it. Why wouldn't you let people know this address? If you knew the address of a specialist, of a doctor, of an expert doctor, and somebody needed that doctor, you wouldn't tell them the address? Why wouldn't you tell them? Okay, let's continue the letter. We're on the bottom of page 12 in the PDF. It's a halachic concept. You cannot prove that something doesn't exist just by saying you've never seen it. Because maybe you just never saw it. But there's an exception to that. Something that is common that if it did exist, it's something that happens so often that if it existed, you would eventually be bound to see it, and you still haven't seen it, then having not seen something is considered a proof. So the Rebbe says, it's not a proof just to say I never saw something. But in this case, it is a proof, and the Rebbe is going to explain why. Because there, are, there's a, there's a lot of mail that comes here to 770. Remember, the Deb is working in 770 for his father-in-law. So a lot of mail comes in here. I see the mail that comes in here. Reisi kama made of I see a lot of the mail that comes into my father-in-law. Shlita, from your community, meaning Anash in Paris. Velei pegashti. Af I didn't once encounter sheya cause mishum shakhays v nskarv at le Bashbos ba shpos mi 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 ana shnemtschom I didn't see anyone say that there's a new person who was drawn to chabad by the xiddem there in Paris Boim him be Paris u be sveva saha maga im meois in Paris and its surrounding outlying areas. You guys encounter hundreds of people. Maybe thousands and thousands of people. Of Jews. May they increase. Regarding what the Rambam writes, Rambam writes in, in his commentary in Pirkei Ovis and Perek Aleph uh, Mishnah Yudzaian, where it talks about. Shikha, about the benefits of, of silence so the rabbim says that even though it's important to be silent inevitably it's unavoidable people talk that's that's what you do you encounter people and you talk and you have different conversations it's just kind of unavoidable so according to what the rabbim says <laughs> you do end up speaking to people there's no way you live in a, in a major city with thousands of Jews that you come in contact with on a, on a regular basis and that you don't have conversations with them. Obviously, you talk about something with them. So what are you talking about with them? And why do you never mention to them the possibility of writing to the Rebbe? How many of these people that you have encountered, that you speak to, you're already speaking to them. You're already speaking to them. How many of them have written to the Rebbe about an operation or about a match, a marriage match? How many of them wrote in asking for a blessing for the new year? I didn't see it. I didn't see it, not once. If you would speak to them, who is the Rebbe? Who is the Lubavitcher Rebbe? Sipur. Tell them a story. Here the Rebbe is giving us the Kitzvah This is how you do it. How do you speak to a cold stranger who doesn't know anything about the Rebbe? How do you <coughs> get the conversation to a place where you don't sound weird telling them to write to the Rebbe? Or to give Maimed money to the Rebbe? So first, you tell them a sipo, you tell them a story. Tell them a story about the Rebbe. Gambley biur, even without an explanation. Stories all have deep explanations. Don't, you don't have to tell them the explanation. You just tell a story. Bapamashnia, this is, a, this is a, a process. And then the second time, miktsos misichesov, you tell them, a from a sicha, not the whole sicha. <laughs> don't, don't don't tell them the whole sicha. Don't the question, the answer. Oh, but that's not enough. We still have to understand uh, a part, one one line from a sicha. Yeah. V'acharkach um, Then you tell them one of his directives, something that he told people to do. a. If you would do that, then many souls and their descendants, for eternity, would all become connected to the tree of life. Sometimes, so I referred to the Rebbe as the tree of life. And you know what would happen? It would increase the spiritual light in these people's homes and they would become men of Moses. Here's a little scholarly parenthetical paragraph where the Rebbe explains what Anshei means, men of Moses. Remember earlier we said that the, this letter in, included a kuntras, a pamphlet of a mimer of the Firic Rebbe. So the Rebbe refers to that now. See the end of the mimer that i enclosed here ulphianis daiti afta betaita oer of a taita schaim taita oer is the altera betaita schaim is the mitlata dibor mascho vasisa zitz they both have a mimer that starts vasisa zitz a kavana about animations explained over there that men of moses means bittel humble people be kontrezah kavanam ksharon baharabi but here in this discourse that i'm sending you men of moses means Men of Moses, men who are connected to Moses, to the Mesh Rabbeinu. He says here, The continuation or the extension of, of Moses in the generation. And uh, that's why it's not explained there explicitly. I think that I was saying because um, it's a little bit of a chidosh of the Anshay Maimed, So what would happen... These people would become Anshei Moshe, they would become Anshei Maimed, they'd become people who send in Maimed money. And they'd become supporters of the Rebbe's organizations and not just to humor you, not just out of respect for you. And instead of all of this, this guy is dealing with his organization And that guy is dealing with his business It's interesting by the way Because even a um, meisad implies Some type of uh, You know it's a spiritual activity Maybe it's a cheder where he's teaching Lubavitcher kids Which is holy It's very holy And the Rebbe is saying But the chesidim Who could be this army Going out and connecting All types of Jews From all walks of life to the Rebbe, instead, what are they focused on? On their own projects. This one with his Mosid and this one with his business. Kol They all comfort themselves and say, I give I give plenty of nifne. I give gnifne. And they say, you know what? I'm ready to be Maseh nafish. I'm ready to sacrifice it all. But the real work has not even begun. So amazing to see, I mean, the shift. that's You understand, that Rebbe is taking people who excelled in a particular mode of divine service. They weren't bad at what they did. They were excellent at it. They knew how to die for Yiddishkeit. And that was taking those people and re-engineering their entire thinking and saying, we're going to take all of that power and redirect it to a totally new mode of service, which is outreach. Talking to people who don't look like you, who don't talk like you, who don't think like you. And if I can get on my soapbox for 30 seconds, and I'm going to only say half of what I really want to say, sometimes we're so successful that we forget what made us successful. The Rebbe's formula for life and for blessings is to find people who do not look like you, talk like you, think like you, and to draw them near with warmth and with sincerity. Off the soapbox, okay. This has been going on for over a year. There's tens of you. The Rebbe Rashab called you guys lights to shine, illuminating lights. That's what he called you guys. You got to live up to that name and be. Illuminating lights, shining lights, a beacon for others. And like it says, it's actually a hayem yem. The uh, said that when you put out a light, people will gather. It's an interesting phenomenon of human nature. If you put out a light somewhere, it will draw a crowd So the Rebbe says You guys were dubbed We're called By the Rebbe Desha And the Fidikar Rebbe said If you put out a light, people will gather So something doesn't add up here Where are the people gathering? I don't see the crowd standing around you But your opinion He says to Shalem is the, the problem is with the people in Paris? No, it's not true. You put out a light, build it, and they will come. Put it out there for them, and they will gather around. And now I'm going to say something. I don't know how you translate derechachos. It could even mean like humorous. Golas, actually, the displacement of the Shechina, of holiness, and the political exile of the Jewish people from their land, what we call Golas, is actually a symptom and an outcome of the breaking of the tablets, when Moses broke the tablets. Because otherwise, or rather, Altikriya. there would be chairus. Why? Because Al tikrei chorus ala chirus. Chorus means carved into the tablets, but chorus is a play on words with chairus, which means freedom. So if not for the breaking of the luches which were chorus, which were carved, there would be chairus, there would be freedom. There wouldn't be gallus. Hasiba, <laughs> cheta ego. Now in turn, it's a whole process here. The breaking of the Luchais actually was precipitated by the sin of the golden calf. Which in turn reinitiated the spiritual filth that was brought by the sin of the tree of knowledge. And that in turn, the sin of the tree of knowledge, Was caused by the diminishment of the moon when God created the two great luminaries and then diminished one, the moon, to be the smaller luminary. Shabbat Ayadei Shviras HaKalim de Toyhu. That in turn, this is a whole Chagadya over here, and that in turn was caused by the breaking of the vessels in the pre creative world called Toyhu, chaos. Shabbat Ayade Hatzimtzum, and that in turn was caused by the original Tzimtzum, the original condensing of God's light. Umahua Hatzimtzum. What is Tzimtzum? Der er Gaitnit luchutz. In simple mamaloshin, Tzimtzum is der er geinit luchutz. The light's not going out. So how did the gullus come about? from the breaking of the luchus. And what caused the breaking of the luchus? The sin of the golden calf. And what caused the sin of the golden calf? Or rather, it was, what, what was it a reinitiating of? The sin of the tree of knowledge. And what was the sin of the tree of knowledge? Uh, a result of the diminishing of the moon. And what was the diminishing of the moon? A result of the tzimtzum. And what is tzimtzum? When light doesn't go out. Er in seine aber nit weiter. He remains in his own letters, his own way of articulating his ideas, meaning it has form, but it doesn't get articulated outward. It doesn't get expressed. The Rebbe said, he's saying this semi-jokingly, but... I'm not sure what this even means, but to me it sounds like all the problems in the world come from one thing, when there's light and it's not being let out. You guys have the light. You guys have the light. You're sitting in Paris. There are people around you. You come in contact with those people. Show them the light. And this will take care of all problems. Yeah. I want to repeat something I said earlier in this letter I'm not talking to you as an individual I'm not talking about any individual I'm not saying any one person is to blame here I'm speaking about the group of you Certainly you're going to show this letter to anyone that will benefit and it should be understood that this conversation that I'm having with you, it's a private conversation. What does that mean? And it's not like it says in Chumash that Yosef told his father about what his brothers were doing. The Rebbe is saying, "I'm not. I did not tell the Rebbe about this. I'm not complaining." to the Rebbe about you guys, this is between us, okay? It doesn't go, if you want to show it to other people, you want to show this letter to other people, you're free to do so. Please understand, this is not coming from the Rebbe, and I'm not even going to tell the Rebbe about this. yemnu Who appointed you? Fix yourself first, take the beam out from between your eyes. olai. And you want to know something? You're right. You're going to say to me, Who am I? Who am I to tell you what to do? You're right. Who am I? It still doesn't change the truth. And the bottom line. What a pity it is for the time that's already been wasted and cannot be brought back I hope you're not going to take this personally not even intellectually on an intellectual level and that there will be love in the end this is a, a, an expression from the Gemara, from Kiddushin where it says even when Talmud Chachamim fight over a, a concept Understanding something properly Not even when they fight Especially when they fight it, it brings them Greater love After after the fight I'm concluding with Wishes of peace For the whole group I did not show this letter To the Nifna committee here In New York But I'm Hetik vov la I sent a copy of just chapter six. Chapter six is just what we learned here. Just this part. I just sent chapter six to Ben Shemtov, Ben And he's the Rebbe's gonna explain why I sent it to Ben Shemtov. I didn't tell him who the letter was to. <laughs> You can do whatever you want. You want to let him know that it was you? You can, or you want to keep it secret? Again, you're free to do as you wish. And now the Rebbe explains. And I want to tell you why I sent just chapter 6 to Ben Shem Aleph, one reason is Maybe it'll help him. You know, maybe maybe he needs to hear this too. Base when I was in Paris, remember that Rebbe was in Paris a year and a half earlier He was also coming up with defense pleas with, uh, with mitigating arguments on behalf of why Anash were not doing this work And he was very sure That it would catch on in the future so the Rebbe says, I told Ben Shem there's a problem over here with the Chassidim in Paris. They're not involved in outreach. And he told me there's reasons why and it's really, it's not their fault. And, and I'm sure it's going to start very soon. And since I see that it didn't start, I'm kind of following up on that conversation. Okay, wow. This was, uh, I told you it was going to take us a long time. But Baruch Hashem, we got through it. And uh, let's remember that if you know the address, it's weird not to tell people. Okay, we'll see you, God willing, next Thursday night with another letter. Good night.